Please turn with me to Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5. What's the dirtiest baptismal tank in the world? You're being too strict with my words because you're taking baptism literally, but it's a great attempt. Why are there a billion people that think they get saved by bathing in the Ganges River? Have you ever read about the Ganges River? Or should I put it this way? Do you know what the sewer of a billion people looks like? And to bathe in the Ganges River is part of eternal life and part of getting yourself into that wonderful reincarnation cycle of the Hindus. Why is there a nation with a billion people in it so dark and blinded? Because the God of heaven did not make choice for the gospel to go in that direction and burst forth in light. Do you know that the Bible in Isaiah describes what would happen when John the Baptist hit the, the shores of the Jordan River? A light hath shined on that place. That's a billion. How about the billion Muslims? What is in Mecca that they pray to? What is in Mecca that they all want to face three to five times a day on their little magic carpet rides and pray toward Mecca? A meteor. They have a media there called the Kaaba Stone. Go home and punch it into your Google search engine, and you can find the little temple that they've made to the Kaaba Stone where they can worship a stone. Look at the top of their mosques to find out what their god is. It's the moon god, Allah. That's why they have a crescent moon. Why the darkness? When we were in Malaysia, we saw those that practice ancestor worship burning little cardboard and paper Cadillacs, widescreen televisions, and computers on little altars so that their ancestors in heaven would have a nice ride and be able to have an LED for their screen instead of the old tube type. Why all the darkness? We have children in this assembly that were raised in Christian homes, and they do not appreciate it. My children do not appreciate it. You have never had any real fight in your life for the truth's sake against against enemies. We are so blessed to know the truth. That's paganism. Then there's Roman Catholicism. Do you know who they pray to to help them in the hour of their death? Mary. You don't want Mary to help you in the hour of your death. You want the Lord Jesus Christ in the hour of your death. How could anyone claim to be a Christian and want Mary in the hour of their death? Where did that darkness come from? Then we come right down to Arminians who want to preach about the love of God all the time, and the love of their God is a joke. The love of their God has most of the objects of that love in eternal torment. What kind of love is that? The darkness. We have been blessed abundantly and it is by pure grace. Amen. It is not intelligence. It is not diligence that right. got it for us. It is by God's grace. Right. But neither should we be apologetic for it. Neither should we modify it so that it's a little more compatible with what others believe. We should be thankful to the God of heaven for it and as dogmatic as the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ, Moses and Elijah. And if you don't want to do it God's way, 
than hit the highway or find yourself in hell. Jesus said, how shall ye escape the damnation of hell to the Pharisees? And they were the religious leaders of his own nation and of the religion of God. Look at Job chapter 5. I want to show you that God judges men by confusing them. And it's a part of his judgment that he delights in. He glories in being able to take a wise man and make him very foolish. And he delights in taking foolish men and making them very wise. He delights in taking babes and making them mature men. He delights in taking mature men and turning them into sottish children. Job chapter 5 verse 8. I would seek unto God and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Give us some of them, please. Who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth waters upon the fields. That's a great thing. To set up on high those that be low, that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. He disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the forward is carried headlong. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope in the noonday as in the night. That is the God of heaven. That is the character of the God of the Bible. And we worship Him on, on the basis of what the Bible says about Him. He delights in these things. And when you're lifting up God to praise Him, you don't only praise Him for the rain that He brings, like verse 10, but you also praise Him for overthrowing the wisdom of the so-called wise in verses 12 through 14. And this is quoted in the New Testament for us from Job. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Turn over to chapter 12 of Job. He glories in his ability to confuse haughty men as one of his marvelous works. Job chapter 12. What this ought to do for us is explain why so many are blind. What this should do for us is cause us to tremble before his word, lest he blind us. What this should do is cause us to thank Him for the truth that we have because He has not completely blinded us yet. Because we can see truth. We should rejoice in the character of the God of the Bible rather than the God of the imaginations of men which is preached in most other pulpits. This is the God of the Bible. Job chapter 12 and verse 14. Behold, uh, i got, I got to get you verse 13 as We'll start at 14. Behold, he breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. Also, he sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. With him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leadeth counselors away, spoiled, and maketh the judges fools. He looseth the bond of kings, and girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away, spoiled, and overthroweth the mighty. He removeth away the speech of the trusty, 
and taketh away the understanding of the aged. He poureth contempt upon princes and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. He discovereth deep things out of darkness and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causeth them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. They grope in the dark without light and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. This is the word of the Lord. Love this God. Serve this God. Tremble before this God. Fear this God. Call upon this God in your day of trouble. He is able to give strength and He is able to take away strength. He is able to lift you up and He's able to dash you down. He's able to strengthen this nation. He's able to straighten it again, meaning to restrict it and constrain it from prosperity. This is the God that we worship. Isaiah 44. And one of the chapters that you read last evening will just read two verses from the latter part of the chapter. I hope that you appreciated verses 9 through 20, where the prophet Isaiah, representing God, mocked idolaters. Mocked idolaters for taking a tree, using a third of it to cook their food, a third of it to heat themselves, and then takes the leftovers and says, what am I going to do with this? (laughs) I got to, it's my God. And they carve it and put a little gold and silver on it and worship it. And if you read the passage carefully, verses 18 through 20 tell us that God has shut up their mind that they have a lie in their right hand and they cannot deliver themselves. It's stuck in there. They don't know it. A deceived heart hath deceived them. They're feeding on ashes. Didn't they burn up a third of the tree to cook their food and a third to heat themselves? They're feeding on ashes. They're making something that they can turn into ashes into their God, but they do not recognize it. Did you read that last night in Isaiah 44? That's the word of the Lord. He blinded them. They have a lie in their right hand, and unless God says, Loose that man. Come out of him. We would be the same way. It is by the grace of God. Every bit of truth that you know, every passage that you can look at in the Bible and say, I know what that means. I believe what it means. I love what it means. And I want to do what it says. Is by the grace of God. He blinds and confuses men and he glories in it. Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. And he that formed thee from the womb... I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish, but confirms the word of his simple servants like the eunuch Daniel. Because the chapter goes on to conclude with a man's name of Cyrus. Praise the Lord. He will raise up a Cyrus that was prophesied by Isaiah 150 years before he was born to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. But all the wise men of Babylon that said Babylon was impregnable, that she would sit a queen forever, 
He overthrows all their wisdom and shows them to be liars and totally confused. This is the God of the Bible. You say that's just the Old Testament. Okay, let's try the new. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The form of his worship may have changed from the Old Testament to the new, which it did with the time of Reformation, but God himself has not changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 19. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Verse 20. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. There's Job being quoted by Paul in the New Testament to let you know, don't just think that's reserved for the Old Testament and for Job's days. It still applies in the New Testament. He takes the wise in their own craftiness and overturns their wisdom. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I referred to it this morning. Let me just show you three of the verses to remind you of what it says and who is the operator. Who is the subject of this action? Romans chapter 1. Verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. How does it happen? How does sodomy happen? How does real foolishness happen? How does ignorance happen? How does bathing in the Ganges happen? How does burning cardboard widescreen televisions happen? How does any of that happen? God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. And what it lists in the rest of this chapter are all the aspects of dysfunctional living. It starts out with dysfunctional sex, abominable sex, perverse sex, vile sex between two men. Vile. And even between two women. And that happened because God gave them over because they did not worship Him as the Creator and they were not thankful for everything God gave them. We absolutely know where sodomy came from. It comes from the judgment of God by rewiring the human mind. Because God gives them over to a reprobate mind to do things that are not convenient that any man in his right mind would never consider doing. God judges men. God can turn you into a sodomite with a word that runneth very swiftly. Let him go by his constraining and restraining grace if we are not faithful to God's word. Any of us are capable of any sin if we are not humbled before God on a regular, constant basis and seeking his word and trembling before him. He can pull away his restraint. We would do anything. We are not making ourselves better than these men, but we are looking at these men and realizing God has judged men for not worshiping him as God. Look at Pharaoh. Why would a man take his chariot down to the Red Sea? I'm going to tell you why. You've read it many times in the Bible. Moses, I will harden his heart so that he will follow after you and I will get me glory upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horses and upon all his men in the Red Sea. I will harden his heart. How did it all begin? Who is the Lord? 
We should never say who is the Lord or where is the Lord or why has the Lord. Let us, it is not our place to ever ask those kind of questions. We should be saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, I love you. Lord, thank you. Lord, thou art worthy of all honor and glory and praise. That's how we ought to be speaking about the Lord. Or he can speak the word, which runs very swiftly, let me say again. And we're in serious trouble. Look at Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19. Just let me pound this point a little bit more for you to take home. And I hope that you'll take your Bibles before the sun sets on this day and open the pages of this holy book that God's given you, which is a treasure that can't be compared to anything else you have by nature in this world, and read a few of its wonderful sentences and know that the great God of heaven is trying to open your dark mind to light. This book is full of light. Wonderful light. Light on every aspect of your life. And it's such a bright light. It shows us such little details and can get right into us and show and expose our hearts. It's like it's the perfect law of liberty. It is looking in a mirror and you can see every flaw that you have. You know, you don't like to look in a mirror when you're out in sunlight, do you? I, now, maybe you, have a, maybe you have a good complexion so it doesn't bother you as much, but you get out in the sunlight and look in a mirror. Oh, the Lord's, the Lord's makeup light is bright, isn't it? And it shows up every single little thing on your skin. But the Bible compares that to the perfect law of liberty. You can look into that and know everything that is wrong in your life and change. And blessed is the man that is in that deed, according to James 1.25. Right. That uses that mirror that way. Here we are, Isaiah chapter 19. We are glorying in the fact that the God of the Bible blinds men. A subject not taught very much. They don't understand why the Bible is hard. They don't understand why most people don't believe. They don't understand why the gospel goes certain directions on the compass and not other directions. The Lord does all that. I hope you saw that in Acts 16. Can't go north, can't go south, you're only going west. And Paul ends up in Macedonia. Was there somebody in Macedonia that needed Paul? There was a woman out there by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. The Lord had opened her heart. And she attended unto those things which were spoken of Paul. Was there somebody that worked for the city? The jailer. That happened in Philippi too. Because a man told Paul in a vision, come over into Macedonia and help us. The Lord had his people in that city. And the Lord got the truth to them. Skipping Bithynia, skipping Asia. Why you? Isaiah 19. I hope you enjoy. This is reading the Word of God. Matthew, is this highlighted in your Bible? Isaiah 19 and verse 11. Surely the princes of Zon are fools. That's a city in Egypt. Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. The counsel of the wise counselors of Pharaoh is become brutish. How say ye unto Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of ancient kings, Where are they? Where are thy wise men? And let them tell thee now, and let them know what the Lord of hosts hath purposed upon Egypt. The princes of Zoan are become fools. The princes of Noth, another city in Egypt, are deceived. They have also seduced Egypt, even they that are the stay of the tribes thereof. 
The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof, and they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof, as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. Neither shall there be any work for Egypt, which the head or tail, branch or rush, may do. And that day shall Egypt be like unto women, and it shall be afraid and fear, because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. Every one that maketh mention thereof shall be afraid in himself, because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he hath determined against it. God had determined to judge Egypt, because Israel often looked to Egypt for help. God had determined to overthrow that mighty nation, and he here mocks all their counselors, their cabinet, their supreme court, their judges, their counselors, their handlers, Philip's wise men. The Lord mocks them like drunken men staggering in their own vomit. This is the word of the Lord. This is how God talks about the wise men of this earth. And that is why we talk the way we do about the wise men of this earth. It has nothing to do with IQ. It has everything to do with WQ. Your wisdom quotient. And wisdom is based in the word of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can grow your wisdom, but you can't grow your IQ. God's given you a certain number of wires upstairs, and that's all you get. You say, I read one time that you can increase it three points. Well, go ahead and waste four years of your life to get it up three points. You nor anyone else will ever be able to tell the difference. But wisdom quotient can be taught. Right. Adam, Psalm 34 and verse 11 says, Come here, my children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We believe in the depravity of the human heart, that sweet little baby you're holding, and you already know a little bit because you told me. You already know that that little baby can get pretty mad at you and pretty angry because she's not being waited on every single second of her life. And that's true of every baby, and it's going to get worse. But even in spite of that depravity of a human baby, David could say by the inspiration of God, Come here, my children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We, we do not become fatalists by believing so much in the depravity of man that we don't have a job to do and we just go ahead and do it. We don't say to ourselves, well, I wonder if this is a child of God or not. That language is not in the Bible. The language of the Bible is, come here, my children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Then the Lord's going to have to bless you, but he doesn't tell you to wait on him. He says, you go ahead and do your job. Go ahead and you can drive foolishness out of a child with a stick. That's pretty simple. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. You can drive it out of your dog. You can drive it out of other animals. They can train lions and tigers. You can train your children if you'll do it God's way and if you'll do it as seriously and as committedly as God teaches. Look at Ezekiel chapter 20. I'm going to shock you with this passage, unless you, unless you know it well. Ezekiel chapter 20. Why do men bathe in the Ganges, the most polluted river on earth? Why? Why do men think there's a baptism for the dead? Why do men burn cardboard furniture to ancestors? Why do men make a pilgrimage to get to Mecca where they can worship a meteor stone? Why? Why? Watch. In Ezekiel chapter 20. God hates hypocrisy. 
And he will deceive hypocrites into gross wickedness by bad laws and profane religious practices, even offering their children to idols. Israel burned their children to false gods because God led them to do it when they rejected His Word. This is why there are so many denominations. Because they don't approach God's Word properly, therefore God confuses them. They worship Mary, they worship Joseph Smith, they follow Mary Baker Eddy, they follow Ellen Harmon White, And so we have a splintered group of a bunch of churches because they have not humbled themselves to God's Word. Why were there men in the days of Israel that burned their children in sacrifice to idols? Because they didn't obey God's Word. Follow with me. Ezekiel chapter 20. Let me read the first three verses. It came came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Then came the word of the Lord unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto the elders of Israel and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Are ye come to inquire of me? As I live, saith the Lord God, I will not be inquired of you. If you don't come to God with your sins confessed, and with zeal in your heart, and putting Him first, and loving Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, He does not owe you anything, and this is how He will speak to you. This is not the only place in the Bible like these first three verses. This is horrifying language. I will not be inquired of you. Verse 25. These kind of men, here's why. I'm trying to cut down the number of verses. I would love to go through these chapters verse by verse. Verse 24. Because they had not executed my judgments, but had despised my statutes, and had polluted my Sabbaths, and their eyes were after their father's idols. Because they went after their father's traditional religion, rather than keeping my word, wherefore, follow. This is God speaking. Wherefore, I gave them also statutes that were not good. I gave them statutes that were not good and judgments whereby they should not live. And I polluted them in their own gifts, in that they caused to pass through the fire all that openeth the womb, that I might make them desolate to the end that they might know that I am the Lord. He caused His people, Israel, to adopt laws about offering their firstborn child to the devil, that I might destroy them, that they might know that I am the Lord. Look at verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, Go ye, serve ye everyone as idols, and hereafter also, if ye will not hearken unto me, but pollute ye my holy name no more with your gifts, And with your idols. Go and serve your idols. I love the way the Lord works. He doesn't, He doesn't go plead. He doesn't go beg you to come back. If you want to worship an idol, then go worship it. He'll just give you a reprobate mind to offer your children in sacrifice to that idol. He tells you, go ahead and worship your idol. 
O house of Israel, go ye, serve ye everyone as idols. But don't pollute my holy name by speaking it and worshiping your idol. You do not dare come to God with an idol in your heart. What do you love more than God? What do you get more excited about? What do you spend more time thinking about? What do you spend more time doing than reading God's Word, thinking upon God, meditating upon Him, loving Him, and talking with His saints? What competes with that? You have an idol in your heart. Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel 14. These prophets, these prophets were hard prophets. Look at what they taught. Ezekiel 14, verse 1. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their eyes. Should I be inquired of at all by them? What's the answer to that rhetorical question? No. These men have idols in their hearts. What is more important in your heart than the Word of God? What is more important in your heart than God? You say, well, nothing is. Really? Can you prove that with your use of time, money, effort, emotion, excitement, and speaking about it with others? Prove it. God has shown us so much, we better be faithful with it. He has shown us so much more than these Israelites in the days of Ezekiel. What did they have? The Old Covenant? We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the New Covenant. We have real light. Their religion, according to the New Testament, was weak, beggarly, and carnal. They have idols in their hearts. Why should I be inquired? Why your prayers aren't being heard? What do you have competing against the Lord? What idol do you have? Here's what he says. You think I'm going to be inquired at of all? At all by them? You say, well, I've got some answers to prayer. So did Israel. So did Israel. Israel said we want quail. God gave them quail. What did he give them quail for? To give them their own heart's lust so that he could send leanness into their spiritual hearts. Who wants to be fat in the belly and lean in the soul? We want to be fat in the soul and lean in the belly. In fact, that sounds real good. That's what we want to aim for. Let's keep going in Ezekiel 14. We've got men coming to the prophet of God and sitting before Ezekiel and saying, we want to know what God's will is for our lives. Should I be inquired at all of by them? Verse 6. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel, or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me, and setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. And I will set my face, this is God speaking, I will set my face against that man, and will make him a sign and a proverb. And I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Now listen, if the prophet be deceived, when he hath spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. 
and I will stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him, that the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, saith the Lord God. This is God dealing with His people. Not the Hindus in the Ganges. His people. This is the Lord. You have an idol set up? I will deceive the prophet when you come to the prophet and say, Prophet, tell me what Jehovah's will is for my life. I will deceive that prophet. I will destroy him and I will destroy you because the deceiver and the deceived are his. For you to understand anything of God's word is a great blessing from heaven. If we neglect it, we face great chastening and judgment. Let's not have any idols in our hearts that would take us down from loving this. We all know what first love is. We all know when we've had first love in our lives toward the Bible, toward the Word of God, and toward the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll spew us out of His mouth if we stay away from first love, if we don't get back to it. He wants us to repent, do the first works, and get remember from whence thou art fallen, and do the first works, and get back to loving Him. He has given us too much. He is a great giver of gifts. When He gives a gift and you don't like it, and you don't say thank you, and you don't use it, and you don't appreciate it, He just takes it back. Oh, that's sweet. That's the way everything ought to work. I can understand that, can't you? When someone gives you a great gift at great expense to them, and you just neglect it and let it sit in the garage and get rusty, they ought to pull up some night with a pickup truck and take it right back. That's an Indian giver. No, that's a man full of justice. That's a man full of fairness. And that's what the Lord does if you don't listen to Him and obey what He has shown you. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. Just a couple of more. The Bible is filled with these examples of God judging men by confusing them. Where does doctrinal error come from? It comes from a God that says the deceiver and the deceived are both mine. It comes from a God who says they cannot be delivered out of the snare of the devil except perchance God would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. It comes from the God that Paul would say deserves our full thanksgiving for every bit of truth that we have. We are bound to give thanks always to God because of the belief of the truth. Look at Isaiah 6. This is a most interesting passage. The first eight verses have been used a billion times to try to get you to go to the mission field. See if you've ever heard these words before, those of you who have come from Arminian backgrounds. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I've always wondered why they don't want to read the rest of this chapter. They want to use that 8th verse to get you to go to the mission field, but they don't want to read the rest of the chapter, because the rest of the chapter tells you that your missionary endeavors are going to be fruitless. And this passage is quoted about five times in the New Testament by the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. Verse 9, he said, Isaiah, if you're willing to go, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed. You've got ears and you hear me. 
but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? How long do I have to have such a ministry where all i got to do, I'm telling them that they're being judged with blindness and they can't believe and they won't believe. How long? He answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, the scattering of Israel. And there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves, a deciduous tree, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Don't worry, Isaiah, I'm always going to have my elect. I'm always going to have my elect, but from everything that you see, by the result of your preaching... They're all going to be scattered away and none of them are going to hear. They're going to see but not perceive. They're going to hear but not understand. This is quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 13, John chapter 12, by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28 and several other places. It's, this whole passage is used extensively in Romans chapter 10. Right. This is the word of the Lord. This is why there's been a whole lot of preaching. How many times have you heard somebody use Isaiah 6, 8, who will go for us? To get you to come forward and agree to be a missionary someplace, but yet they don't tell you what the the message is. Do you know what the message is of this missionary? God has blinded you. And He does not want you converted. And He does not want you healed. Because He is going to pound you until there is no one left in your cities and this whole land is forsaken. And that is applied in the New Testament because that was the next forsaking. When God forsook that nation and Jesus walked out of that temple the last time and said, your house is left unto you desolate. That's why Jesus quoted it repeatedly. That's why he spoke in parables. This is the explanation. I speak to them in parables because I don't want them converted. I don't want them to see. I don't want them to hear. I don't want them to believe. That is God's judgment when men have rejected the truth that was given them. They had been given a great deal of truth and they had corrupted it. That's why we read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and see how the Pharisees had corrupted the religion of God. What does all that mean to us? Let's go back to our purpose. What does it mean to us? We should tremble before the God of heaven that we do not neglect His word and be blinded. These are His people. We should be thankful for every bit of truth we have. We should understand very clearly why some people believe the Bible and some people don't. We should understand very clearly why you can show clear Bible passages to somebody and they'll just blow you off because they're blind. And we should understand the character of the God of the Bible. It is different from the God that is preached out there. This is the God of the Bible. This is terrifying, yet it's comforting because it's an explanation for what we can see anywhere we turn. For those of you who have ever presented the truth to another person, I mean, clear Bible. They say, "I, I I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love the Lord. Yes, I want to do what's right. Just show me from a Bible. You show them from a Bible, and you never get to talk to them again because they don't want to be around you. They reject it. They rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. He only had a few that followed him. They rejected the Apostle Paul. He only had a few that followed him. This is the truth of the Bible. Let's go over it again. 
I want you to go home and I want you to remember why we had this today. Fear the God of the Bible and love His Word. Read it, meditate on it, talk about it, teach it to your children. Be thankful for every bit of truth we have. Do you know there are, there are sections of this book that we can open up and put ourselves in one thousandth of one percent of Bible-believing Christians that understand that text? They may have some that we don't understand, and we're going to pray for God to show that to us. But He's given us so many. We can open chapters of this Bible. We know what's being talked about there. It's precious indeed. I want you to know the character of God, and I want you to understand why some people don't see the truth. Do you know what it takes to get them to see the truth? God must pull off that blind, and God must speak light and shine it into their hearts, or our efforts are in vain. The Apostle Paul made that so clear to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Timothy, even if you're a perfect minister, not good enough, unless God perchance grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Blessed God, we thank Thee for granting us repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And we thank You for helping us escape out of the snare of the devil. And wherever He still has us snared, O Lord, show us the truth of Your precious Word, and we will turn from it. Amen.